The scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11 and 31, 13. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. The word of the Lord. This fall, we're studying the Ten Commandments, and today we come to commandment number four, which tells us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath. And of, of the Ten Commandments, this command, the Sabbath command, this is the one that probably changes the most over the course of, of the Bible. Uh, when Jesus came into this world, he brought a new covenant, a new uh, relationship with God for God's people. And in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we see certain changes that have taken place with regard to how this fourth commandment is applied. Uh, for example, for Christians, the Sabbath is no longer tied specifically to the seventh day. Uh, you'll, uh, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was to, be, was to be practiced only on the seventh day of the week. When you get to the New Testament, you find Christians gathering to worship God on the first day. And you, uh, you read the apostle in Romans 14 saying, one person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike, just kind of affirming that it's okay to, uh, to disagree about what day we gather. So in uh, the Sabbath in the New Testament, it's no longer tied specifically to one certain day. Uh, another example of a change is in the New Testament, we see a radical decrease in the emphasis on specific requirements for Sabbath observance. Uh, some of you know that Jesus in his, his ministry, he, he was in constant conflict with uh, the religious leaders of, of his day over all the rules and regulations that had kind of developed with regard to the practice of the Sabbath. And you find it in, in the New Testament, there's a different focus. The focus in the New Testament is not on exactly what we can do, exactly what we cannot do on the Sabbath day. In the New Testament, the focus really is, is on encouraging our hearts to find how truly to find our rest in the Lord. So this, uh, this commandment for Christians seems to have changed somewhat over time. But, and this is my point, that doesn't mean that we can ignore it. You'll, you'll notice in, in these words in, in Exodus 20, we see here that this idea of setting apart one day out of every seven for rest and renewal, that idea, it's, it's said to be rooted in um, the way that God created the world. 
We read here, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. So in some sense, this kind of rhythm of, of, of resting one day out of seven, it, it seems to have been built into the basic design of creation itself, of the way that God not only created the world, but the way he created us as human beings. Uh, I, I am convinced after years of, of pastoring now that, this, that maintaining a, a consistent practice of meaningful Sabbath Lord's Day observance, this is essential to our flourishing as Christians. I, I've, I've never seen somebody neglect the Lord's Day and thrive as a Christian. It just, it just doesn't work that way. So um, the question that I want to look at today is how... How can we practice the Sabbath? I mean, the world, listen, the world has changed a lot, right, since uh, Moses and the, the Hebrews stood there by, by Mount Sinai. It's changed a lot. So how, how can we really get the most out of um, a regular practice of the Lord's Day, of, of Sabbath rest? And to help us explore that, really what I'd like to do today, I just want to give you three words that I think, if you keep these words in mind, will help you um, to get the most out of, of practicing a Sabbath rest. And, and the three words are, well, I'll start with the first. The first word is rest. Rest. The Sabbath is all about rest. In, in fact, um, the Hebrew word Shabbat, Sabbath, it, it's, it's the intensive form of a verb that just means stop means cease. The Sabbath, the Sabbath is a day to cease and desist from, um, from the regular labor, the regular responsibilities of, of weekly life. Um, God says, or Moses says in verse 10, the, the seventh day is to be a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. So God is just saying, listen, one day out of every week, I want, I just want everything to stop. And I want everyone to get some rest. Now, can you imagine how that must have felt for those ancient Hebrews to hear this? You know their story, right? For, for 400 years, they had been slaves in the land of Egypt. They had, for 400 years, generation after generation, they're, they're, they had been serving Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Exodus chapter 1 verse 14 tells us what it was like for them. It says, The Egyptians made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians, wor the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So for four centuries, their lives had just been crushed, ground down with this, this nonstop pressure of ongoing work. And now they're free from Pharaoh. Now they're free from Egypt. Now, now they, no, they no longer serve Pharaoh. Now they have a new master, Yahweh. And they gather at the foot of Mount Sinai, and their new master tells them what life is going to be like under his leadership. Can you imagine how they feel when their God comes to them and says, this is my law once a week. I want everyone to have a day off. Everyone, and that's an order, right? Imagine they must have said, this is amazing to serve Yahweh rather than Pharaoh. What a wonderful God who commands all of us 
to rest. It just, it, it must have been so amazing for them that, that God wants his people, everyone. You might see how God just includes, listen, I'm not just talking about the men. I want the men and the women. I'm not just talking about the rich people. I want the rich people and the servants. I'm not just even talking about the Israelites. I want the immigrants who come to live. I want everyone to get rest. Now, why, why, does, why does God want his people to rest? You know the answer. Because we need it, right? The, the apartment uh, complex where I live, uh, it's set up so that we, we pay a flat rate for electricity, you know, no matter how much you use. So I have some neighbors that the, at the beginning of the summer, they just turn on their ACs and they just they let them run 24-7, seven, seven days a week, all summer long. It's bad for the environment, right? But, but here's what amazes me. Their air conditioners never break down. I mean, year after year, they use the same air conditioner. They just run nonstop. They don't break down. And I guess that there are some machines that more or less are designed to run that way. They could run constantly and never rest. You are not a machine, right? I am not a machine. We were not built that way. We, we, were, we were built in the image of God who after taking six days to create the world, he himself rested. It's built into who we are. We need we need to rest. Uh, you, you know the statistics. People, people who um, do not get enough rest are at greater risk for all kinds of things. Heart disease, high blood pressure, relational problems, depression, traffic accidents. I mean, it just goes on and on. We need rest. So one, listen, one way to honor the fourth commandment, to honor the Sabbath, is just to rest. And I wonder, what, what, would, that, what would that look like for you? Maybe it would mean for you a Sunday afternoon nap. You know, sign me up for that, right? <laughs> or maybe it would mean a Sunday afternoon bike ride. Or maybe it would mean an entire day every week where you don't look at your phone. Somebody emails you, that's their problem, right? Or maybe, maybe it would mean a, a, a difficult conversation with your employer, your boss, and say, listen, I, listen, I will work my tail off for you. You know that. But don't touch my Sundays. That's my, that's my day for me, my family, my friends, my church. I need rest. So what, I don't know what it would look like for you, but whatever it is, God is saying, I want you to have a regular rhythm of rest built into your weekly schedule. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody here is thinking, you know, I would love that. I would love that, but you don't have any idea how busy I am. If I took a whole day off, I would never get everything done that I have to do this week. Right? You ever feel that way? Here's, here's the only thing I would just say to you. Trust God. I don't, I don't mean to oversimplify this, but really, we have a God we can trust. Um, many Christians, we practice a discipline called tithing, and tithing, tithing means that we set aside the first tenth of our income we just give it to God, and we trust God that he's going to bless the, the remaining 90%, and he will take care of our needs, and he does that. Well, listen... Honoring the Sabbath is kind of like that. You, you set aside the first seventh of your time, the first day of the week, and you say, I'm just going to trust God. He's going to bless the remaining time, the remaining six days, and I will get everything done. It's, so can I give you a word as your pastor? Trust God and take a nap, all right? Amen. Do that. Amen is right. So, so how do we... How do we um, how do we get the most out of this fourth commandment in our lives? The first word is rest. The second word is rejoice. 
rejoice. The, 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 the Lord's Day is a day of rejoicing. Leviticus 23 was talking to the ancient Hebrews about the Sabbath. And Moses told them, the Sabbath is to be a day of sacred assembly. In other words, the Sabbath for them was to be a day when they would gather together as a community with, with the rest of God's people to rejoice together, to, to, to celebrate the love of their God who had redeemed them from Egypt. So the Sabbath is to be a day of, of worship and praise. And listen, we are supposed to enjoy it. Um, Isaiah 58 says we are to call the Sabbath a delight. The, the psalmist in Psalm 42 talks about how he would go to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. In Psalm 122, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So the Lord's Day, this is to be a day of joy. And, and I know that when we gather to worship, there, there, there's an appropriate feeling of reverence. There's appropriate times for silence. But is it wrong for me to say this is supposed to be fun. We, we have a God who loves us. We gather to rejoice in him, to, to, let, him, to let him remind us once again that, that we are his beloved children. We, this is to be a time of joy. And sometimes churches and Christians forget that. I heard a story, I don't know if it's true, but a story of a a pastor many, many years ago in Scotland, he, uh, he woke up one Sunday morning and he looked out the window and he saw that like three feet had, of snow had fallen on the ground and he, he realized that he could never get to church in his horse and buggy. This is back in, in those days. He could never get to church through this snow. But then he noticed that the river that ran right past his house was frozen solid. And he knew that this river also ran right past the church. So he bundled up, he strapped on his ice skates and he skated to church. Imagine the congregation sitting there, the pastor just swooped in on his skates, right? And this, uh, this of course, caused uh, some degree of consternation for the elders because they were in charge of church discipline, and here was their very own pastor engaged in a form of recreation on the Lord's Day, which is a clear violation of the Westminster standards. <laughs> but then again, he also had to get to church somehow. So they didn't know what to do. They called a meeting. They, 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 they met with their pastor. They sat him down. They said, Reverend, we have just one question for you. Last Lord's Day morning when you were skating to church, did you enjoy it? <laughs> that we can forget. This is a day of rest. This is a day of, of reverence. But this is a day of joy. Now, you don't all have to do this, but this is, I, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, back in the day. So when I was a kid growing up, um, Sundays, we wore our best clothes. I mean, clothes we wouldn't touch any other day of the week. I hated it, all right, because, you know, you couldn't get them dirty. But we, we wore our best clothes. And Sunday after church, we ate the best meal of the week. It was a feast. My, you know, my mom put like the pot roast in the oven or some casserole. We come home to the smell of, 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 uh, of roasted onions and beef. And it would just, we, we it, you know, it, it, I didn't understand why my parents did this, but they just wanted, listen, they wanted every Sunday, they wanted us to dress like we were going to a party and they wanted us to feast like it was a holiday. Why? Because Sunday is the day our Lord Jesus rose from the dead. This, this is the day we're reminded that we have a living Savior, and it is a time to rejoice. So, is it okay if I suggest that you have some fun today? 
that you do something just to have joy in the Lord? Now, I'm not talking about frivolous joy. I'm not talking about, you know, Chuck E. Cheese joy, all right? What, what I'm really talking about is what we're experiencing right now. I, listen, the deepest, most soul-satisfying joy that we can, we can experience this side of heaven is what we're doing right now, to gather together with other people who've been redeemed just like we have, to join our voices together in song, to join our hearts together in prayer, to hear the word of our God spoken to us one more time, and to hear that God really loves you, that Jesus died for you, that your sins, all of them are gone, they're forgiven, that you are a beloved member of God's family, that God is with you now and he will never leave you, and that Jesus, your Savior, is coming back again. We just need to, we need to hear that and rejoice in it, right? So when you hear that the Sabbath described this day, it's God saying, listen, I'm giving you a day off. One day every week. You add that up, it's like seven weeks vacation over a year, right? And God says, I want you to rejoice in this. You see the picture of this. The Sabbath commandment, like all the commandment, it is, it is for our good. Now, don't misunderstand that. When I say it's for our good, that does not mean that it's optional, right? You've heard this before. These are the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, right? But, um, but God commands us, listen, one day out of the week, take, take time off, and during that time, gather with your brothers and sisters and rejoice. Hebrews 10 verse 25 says, let us not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And if you read that verse in its context, the context is the writer of that book is encouraging Christians not to fall away from the Lord. And as a pastor for many years, I understand why that's the case. Um, so often where I've seen people who once who once were passionately in love with Jesus drift away from him very, very often. The first step towards that starts with them neglecting the fourth commandment. Just start skipping church and not going very much, and pretty soon you, you don't really have to work hard to drift from the Lord. You just, you just stop gathering to rejoice in him. So three words about the Sabbath. Um, rest. Rejoice. And then the third word I would say is refocus. Get your focus where it's supposed to be again. Refocus. This, we, we, uh, we read, Ruth read for us this verse from Exodus 31, verse 13. Moses is giving further instruction to the Hebrews about the Sabbath. And, and, and the Lord says to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. I make you holy. Now, the, the word holy in the Bible, sometimes that word means morally pure, all right? It means that. But most places in the book of Exodus, it doesn't mean morally pure. It, I guess you would translate it this. It means, it means special, truly special. 
Some, something that's described as holy is something that has been set apart as sacred, as significant, because it belongs to the Lord. So in the book of Exodus, you'll, you'll read about um, physical things being called holy. You read about holy ground, or you, you read about a mountain that is holy, or you read about that the altar is holy, or the incense is holy. And when it says that these things are holy, it doesn't mean they are morally pure. It means that they have special importance because of their connection to God. And God says here in Exodus 31, verse 13, that the purpose of the Sabbath was to remind his people that they are holy. They have special significance for the same reason. It says, the Sabbaths will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. I give, I give you your significance. So I want you to think about what this would be like for these ancient uh, Israelites. Uh, once out of every week, they would experience a 24-hour span of time in which they would accomplish nothing. They, they, they wouldn't plant any crops. They wouldn't plow any fields. They wouldn't fix any fences. They wouldn't shear any sheep. They'd just do nothing. And at the end of, at the, end of the Sabbath, they'd, they'd go to bed and, and, and they would say to themselves, I, I did absolutely nothing at all today to prove my worth. And, and yet I'm still holy. I'm still significant be, because I belong to the Lord. See, the, the Sabbath was, was just designed to help them refocus on who they were and what gave them value. It wasn't what they did. It was who they belonged to that made them important. In, uh, in our apartment, we have, a, we have a China tea set, the little teapot and the little cups. They have roses on them and, and, and the saucers and plates, and, and, and they're not really worth much. It's not like it's a valuable set, but we have this, this tea set in, in my house that belonged to my grandmother, and my, my maternal grandmother was a very important person in our family. My, my mother was orphaned. Her, her mom died when my mom was just three years old. And then her father remarried uh, uh, this woman named Lois. And Lois just embraced my mom as if she were her very own. She loved her. She raised her. She, she, she brought her into her heart. So this tea set belonged to my, I guess you'd call her my step-grandmother, my, my grandmother, Lois. And we have her tea set in my house. And I need to tell you, I have absolutely no use for that tea set. It does me no good at all. It just takes up space. Like we never, we never look at it. We never drink from it. We never take it out of the 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 the, uh, the cabinet. We, we, it just, uh, to be honest with you, I don't even like tea. All right, I like Snapple, but I don't drink tea. So this is this is a, a tea set in our house that does nothing for us, but it is the most special dishes we own. Why? Because it belonged to my nana, right? Its, it's value is not based on what it does for us. Its value is based on who it belonged to. 
And, and so for these ancient Hebrews, this is what Sabbath, once every week, they would just, they would accomplish nothing and they were still loved by God. It just communicated to them that their value was not based on what they did and how different that was than life under Pharaoh. You know, for 400 years when they were slaves under Pharaoh, they, they were, as a people, they were commodified. They were actually commodities their only value to Pharaoh was their production. How many bricks you can make, how many plows, fields you can plow. That's the only thing that mattered was what they could do. And then God says, no, listen, listen, it's not that way when you serve me. In fact, I want you to, I want you to take one day out of every week where you, do, you don't do anything. And you know that you still matter to me. Your, your importance is not based on what you do. And they just, they needed to relive that week after week to kind of get Egypt out of their clothes and realize that their value was based on God's love for them. Now, if they, if they needed that, do you think that we need that? Guys, I don't, you ever feel like this? We live in a society that communicates to us again and again and again from the time we are little children that your worth is based on what you do. Do you get good grades in school? What college did you get into? What kind of job do you have? How much money do you earn? How many goals did you score in last week's soccer game? How many followers do you have on Instagram? Just again and again and again, your importance is what you do. And isn't it wonderful who, to have a God who says, listen, once every week, I don't want you to do anything. Don't even make your bed. Do nothing. And, and, and go to bed at the end, and the end of the Sabbath and put your head on the pillow and just say, you know what? I am as loved I am as loved and treasured today as I was on the most productive day of my life because my value is like that tea set. My value is not based on what I do. It's based on whose I am. I belong to God. So Sabbath just helps us to refocus and just, and just, and just remember that we are loved because not of what we do, but what Jesus did. I love this quote uh, that was in the program from Rich Velotis, a pastor here in Queens. He says, the Sabbath is one of the clearest signs of the gospel. You accomplish nothing, and God still loves you. Now, what did he mean by gospel? He meant the good news. Have you heard this? Here's the good news, that when you, no matter, listen, no matter how much you might have messed up in life, when you just very simply turn from trying to be your own boss and, and living life your way, and you place your trust in Christ to be your Savior, have you done that? Have you ever done that? Today, Jesus is lovingly inviting you to do that. But when you, when, here's the good news, when you trust in Christ that way, you are permanently, infinitely, eternally accepted by God. You don't have to do anything to somehow earn his love. You couldn't do anything to earn his love, right? But, but because of what Christ has done for you, you are now accepted into God's family. You're one of his children and his acceptance. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on your obedience. It's not based on, on, on your work. It's based on what? On what Jesus Christ has done for you. You're like the tea set in God's in God's cabinet, God says, you don't do anything for me, but I love you like the greatest treasure in my home because of what Jesus did for you. And Sabbath is a way, not just to hear that. You've probably heard that before. Sabbath is a way to live that, to take a whole day where you do nothing and you're still loved.
So how do you get the most out of the Sabbath? Rest. Some of you are starting to rest right now. Don't fall asleep yet. <laughs> Rejoice. We come to church, guys. Um, let, let's, let's, not, let's not make the, the worship team carry all the weight, right? Let's us sing and rejoice in our God and refocus. Believer, listen to me. You are valuable to God if you don't ever do anything for him again because Christ has done it all. Relive that today. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you that you love us, God. And when you gave us these commands, they really are for our good. When, uh, when we doubt that or when the devil lies to us about it, would you just remind us that you're the God who loves us, you know what we need, you lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In Christ's name, amen.